Well, good morning, you all. It is so great to see a full house in God's presence today. Can we give God another round of applause and say thank you for being here with us in your presence? Just welcome God in. Yeah. If you haven't figured it out yet, we like to clap a lot here. So if you hear something during the message you really like, just go ahead and clap. Just go ahead and clap. Just make it happen. If you like to shout amen in this place, hey, there is nothing holding you back. You just let that voice of God speak out of you, okay? I am so, so grateful to be with you here in this place today. And in fact, we're going to clap one more time. This time for first-time guests in the room, do not identify yourself in any way, shape, or form. First-time guest, you are most welcome here. Do make yourself at home here. But let's give God a round of applause for you. Yeah. Yeah, we are beginning a brand new teaching series here at Trinity. Now, this is across all four of our sites. And if you're new to our Trinity family, we do have four locations that are meeting in person. All four of our locations are going to be talking about this amazing topic of accountability. And what I'd like to ask you to do is imagine yourself, if you just close your eyes for a moment, and imagine yourself out on a boat, just kind of gently rocking back and forth on the water, and imagining that water just kind of lapping up around the boat, and imagine yourself just kind of sitting there peacefully rocking along with the boat. And then imagine that your boat starts to rock a little bit harder, and the waves start to come, and the boat starts to get really, really tough and rock back and forth and kind of throw you around, and then all of a sudden the boat becomes quiet again, and you become serene and at peace again with the boat settling in. We're going to talk about boats a lot. We're going to talk about water a lot and waves a lot. We're going to talk about anchors in this series. We're going to talk about how a rising tide raises all what, church? All ships. A rising tide raises all ships. And in the church in particular, we're going to talk about how God has a design for making us rise together. He has a structure that he's put together in the church to help us to rise together. And in fact, what I'm going to ask the gentleman to do in the back, I'm not connecting with the screens. Would you advance to the video? There's a video that's going to show a rising tide in Alaska. Now, this is a place where you can go and visit in Alaska where the tide actually rises 18 feet once a day from negative 2 average to positive 16 average or somewhere in that area once a day. And then a second time during the day, it rises 13 feet. So twice a day, this particular bay in Alaska, the water rises and falls between 13 and 18 feet. And something happens. If you take a boat into this bay and you tie it to the dock and the dock is loose and the dock rises and falls with the tide, what's going to happen to the boat? Boat's going to rise and fall with the tide as well. But if you were to anchor the boat at a certain length of cord between your boat and your anchor, where the line between your anchor and your boat was too short, and then the water rose 18 feet above where you had it, what would happen to your boat? It would be sunk, wouldn't it? God's design for helping us to grow together is very specific. It's very closely tied to his heart and to his character. And so what we're going to discover today as we look at accountability and the idea of moving into God's presence with it is kind of kicked off with this beautiful psalm. I just want to read this for you. The psalm says this, You have searched me, Lord, and you know me. 
You know when I sit and when I rise. You perceive my thoughts from afar. You discern my going out and my lying down. You are familiar with all my ways. Before a word is on my tongue, you, Lord, know it completely. The first idea is this. God knows you. Now, that's whether you want to be known by him or not. Amen? God knows you. He knows the inner thoughts of your being. He knows who you are deep down inside. And he knows everyone to your right and to your left in the deepest and most personal and intimate way. Now, that's whether you acknowledge him or realize that or not. You have a God who knows you where you are, and he loves you exactly the way you are. We will prove that here in just a couple of moments. What we're going to talk about with this idea of being known by God is that we're intended to be known by God, if you'll advance to the next, we're intended to be known by God in community, and that is as a part of a faith family. Now, you might think about accountability in this way. Accountability might take place like a conversation you have with your family members around the dinner table. Maybe you're sitting down to dinner together and you're asking, how was your day? And maybe one of the kids shares something about his or her day that you have the opportunity to guide them in and follow up or next steps. In that moment, it's not like somebody's coming down on that child and correcting that child. It's a conversational way to support that child in growing to the next level in the interaction they'll have the next day. That's what God intends for his church to engage in in community, like a family. It's the idea that together we grow and we rise. Accountability is not a scary word. It's something that kind of comes against this idea that I am in charge of myself. I'm in command of my own kingdom. I am my own king where I am over my own place. And yet accountability is really not about someone coming down on you, someone pointing a finger at you. Accountability is about you growing and rising with the tide of community, a community that's based on God's love. Well, the idea is this. We've got Abraham in our history. Abraham goes way back thousands of years. And if you don't know the story of Abraham, basically Abraham was uprooted from his home by God who told him, go to this place, this promised land that I'm going to give you. And the only thing Abraham really had to show for that was his faith. He just trusted God and he uprooted his family and began to go on this journey into what we know in the church as the promised land. But two things were promised to Abraham, if you remember the story. One was this, Abraham was a pretty old guy and he and his wife Sarah had had no children. Abraham was promised a child who would inherit his his stuff and his place and his blessing before God. Abraham would have a child in his old age, even though he physically shouldn't be able to do that with his wife, Sarah. They were pretty old and well beyond childbearing years. God also promised a second thing, and that is that this particular land, this promised land, would be given to Abraham and his people. And even though the enemies of God lived in this place, after some generations would pass, and God would say this, after four generations of people passed, your your descendants, the people who will come from you and your wife Sarah, will come and inherit this land. And then Abraham has a very specific question for God. Now, it's probably one that you've asked God yourself. Abraham asks, how do I know, God, you will keep your promise? Now, have you ever asked that question of God before? 
When God says to you, I will never leave you nor forsake you. I will always be by your side. I will walk with you. I will text with you. I will email with you. I will ride with you on the train to downtown Chicago. I will get in your car with you and go to Florida. I will be with you when you go to Walmart, to Target, to wherever you choose to shop. I will be with you when you're exasperated at your kids, when you're at the end of a 16-hour day and you've got nothing left to give. I will be with you. Have you ever caught yourself saying to God, God, how do I know you're going to be with me? How do I know you're going to keep your promise? Well, God did something pretty cool. Back then with Abraham, the way people made contracts was pretty unique. In fact, they didn't get signed pieces of paper and put all the terms down and sign and date it and get it notarized and all that good stuff. What they would do is they would make a covenant promise with each other. And what that basically meant for Abraham was this. He was instructed to take some sacrificial animals. Now, this gets a little gross and weird, so bear with me, okay? He took some sacrificial animals, and he was instructed to cut them in half. Now, how weird is that, right? Kind of gross. He took the two pieces, and he laid them on opposite sides of a path. And the idea was this. When you made a covenant with someone back then, someone would pass through those two animal pieces and would say to the other person with whom they had the agreement, you can do this to me if I don't keep up my end of the bargain. That's how serious that agreement was. So God actually had Abraham do that and said to Abraham, Abraham, if I don't give you a child, Abraham, even though you're 99 years old at the time, if I don't bring the fourth and fifth generations of your people back into the promised land again, if you don't see this thing happen before your very eyes, you can do this to me, says God. Now, why would a God say that to someone he loves and cares about? Because he loves and cares about them so much that he intends to fulfill the agreement on his own power. Here's what I mean by that. Here's what I mean. Even with the covenant, even with the animals, even with a strange happenstance in Genesis 15 where there's like fire and smoke passing down the path between the two halves of animals where God solidifies his covenant. He intends to be the one who keeps the promise. Even when Abraham should fail to keep his end of a bargain, God intends to be the only one who keeps the promise. And God intends to set that up for you and I when we encounter one person who's very special. His name begins with J. And the rest of it is Jesus. Can you say that with me? One, two, three. Jesus. Yeah, we lift the name of Jesus high. And so what Abraham is learning is that God is a keeper of covenants. He's a keeper of promises. If you can advance, he is a keeper of promises and commitments made. And he sets up the idea from the very beginning for us of integrity. Now you ask yourself what integrity is. Here's what integrity is. If you promise your child ice cream and you do not deliver on the ice cream, then your integrity is compromised, isn't it? And you get to hear about it for the next 48 hours. Now, I haven't personally done this before. I've just heard of other people doing it. That's where I got the story from. 
But you got to understand, if you promise your child ice cream, you best deliver, and that that comes in the form of integrity, does it not? But when you grow up and you become an adult, the same thing happens. If you sign a contract, if you make a promise, even in this culture where people are having a hard time returning texts, emails, and phone calls, showing up for appointments, even in this culture, your integrity is directly tied to the idea that you will be there when the person reaches out. When the person calls you to account, when the person says mommy or daddy, you will be there. That is integrity. That is the very nature of God. It's the way he operates. And in fact, when we're talking about how God made promises, if you'll advance to the next, if you're talking about how God made promises, here's what he intended to do with those promises. He intended to do this. He intended to satisfy the covenantal requirements that he had with Abraham, basically to say this, Abraham, I'm going to do all the work. I'm going to give you and Sarah a baby. Now, there's some stuff Abraham and Sarah needed to do. Just going to say, just going to say, put that out there, okay? But God is the one who makes that happen in the end. God's the one who brings a baby. And then God is the one who's going to take that baby and grow that baby into a nation that's going to be the light unto the world and is going to bring the Messiah to the whole world. See, the Messiah was born to come here for all of us. And it is God's version, God's intention, God's heart, his character and integrity that makes that happen. God relieves us of the covenantal requirements to need to be perfect and to pay for our own sin. He gives us someone named Jesus that takes care of that. God operates on his own integrity, proving himself faithful to you and to all people through Jesus. You simply look at the life of Jesus and you can see God's promises coming true in real time. And then God alone keeps that promise, bringing us into his presence, bringing us close. See, that's the point of faith, isn't it? The point of faith is not just to get into heaven. I had this conversation with one of my kids the other day. They still didn't get it. The idea was not just to get to heaven. The idea is to have a heavenly father who is with you, who's walking with you, who's texting, driving, riding the train, shopping. A heavenly father who walks with you, who serves with you, who gives with you. And to give you that of himself together with other people, just like this. Whether it's gathering together for worship, getting together for coffee with somebody one-on-one, getting together for small group, getting together to paint a new worship center, getting together to have coffee or beer out together somewhere later, enjoying each other's company, growing in the presence of God together enjoying his integrity and his purpose, his power. This is God's love, his grace in action. You know, when we talk about Jesus being here on earth with us, walking, Jesus was always going places, always doing things, always teaching his disciples. The Holy Spirit gave him the words to speak and gave him the courage to go to the cross. And when he went to the cross, He knew, even though with the emotions he faced, that one day God would raise him from the dead. One day he would rise. That same rising, that same resurrection, is not just intended for you at the end of your physical life. It's intended for you every single day 
that rising. Are you in a place in your life right now where you could use some help from God rising up? Maybe it's in your emotions, the feelings you've had post-COVID. Maybe it's in your vocational area of work. Maybe you've lost a job or you've got a new one because of COVID and it's strange to you. Maybe you've recently moved. Maybe you've lost someone. Do you feel like God can raise you up? He can, and he does it not based on your power or ability to receive him. He does it based on his power and integrity to raise the dead. And he will raise the dead in you and in me. Look at the scripture from Hebrews chapter six. When God made his promise to Abraham, since there was no one greater for him to swear by, He swore by himself. He looked around and was like, there's nobody as awesome as me. I'm going to swear by me. And God got the job done. He swore by himself saying, I will surely bless you and give you many descendants, even though Abraham and Sarah had no hope of having children. And so after waiting patiently, Abraham received what was promised. We go on to the next. People swear by someone greater than themselves and the oath confirms what is said and puts an end to all argument. They had contracts even back then, and we saw what contracts were like back then, right? Serious business. Because God wanted to make the unchanging nature of his purpose very clear to the heirs of what was promised, which includes, by the way, you. He confirmed it with an oath. God did this so that by two unchangeable things in which it is impossible for God to lie, we who have fled to take hold of the hope set before us may be greatly encouraged. Now check this. It says, we have this hope as an anchor for the soul, firm and secure. You see, your soul is intended to have an anchor, something that weighs it down, not so close to the water's edge that when the waters of life rise, you're overtaken. But so that you are properly anchored Here's what I mean by that. Did you know God is your anchor? When the tide rises around you, when it rises, raising the ships of those you love and care for around you, with you, if you're anchored to God, then as the tide rises, you will be blessed with his accountability, with his integrity, with his presence. Have you ever been on a boat before? Now, when I was growing up as a kid, and I grew up in southeast Tennessee, some of you guys know that about me, there's a wee tinge of southern accent, it's just still left, after 20-something years in the Midwest. My dad had a boat, it was 17 feet long. He used to let me drive it before it was legal. He used to let me drive it, and part of driving it was taking care of bringing the boat in and taking it up to the dock and making sure the bumpers were out. And when we were out on the water, it was dropping the anchor. And we learned very quickly that a boat that size needed a certain size and type of anchor. If you have an anchor that's too heavy and the tide rises, what happens to your boat if the line is too short? Your boat is overtaken by the water, right? If your anchor is too light, like it's plastic or something, then what happens? You're not secured to the floor, are you? The anchor has to be the right size and shape and the line has to be the right amount of length so that the boat can rise and fall with the tide. 
What we're going to be talking about for the next four weeks, including today, is the idea is that God is your anchor. No matter where you are in life, God is your anchor. And along with keeping you secure in life, having a place for your soul to rest, God intends for you to rise. There's little resurrections every day that we talk about. And he intends for you to do that along with other people, people just like the ones in the room with you right now. He intends for you to be with faith family, to rise together anchored to the integrity and the power of God, not to your own, because your own is an anchor too heavy where you bear the sins that you can't get rid of. And Christ comes along and takes that weight away from you. Or your anchor's been too light, where it's not given you any stability for your soul, anything to hang your hat on spiritually. The anchor of God is just right. And with that anchor comes a rising tide. This is you growing in faith. This is you woven together with faith family. This is you becoming what God has made you and declared you to be. So I'd ask you to join me for the next few weeks as we look at how God has designed this thing called the faith family of God to work, how he's woven together with us the anchor and the line and the rising tide. Would you do that with me? Will you come back and share that time before God with me? I'd ask that of you and ask you to pray with me now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for the opportunity to see you at work. Thank you so much for following through on your promises and for giving us everything that you have committed to give, the very body and blood of your son, Jesus, and his presence in our daily life. God, we are so grateful for every ounce of Jesus' flesh and blood on the cross and every ounce of Jesus' flesh and blood as he rises from the grave. With that flesh and blood, we rise. We rise with the tide of your church, who is a faith family, a family that loves, cares for, and sees you through the toughest times and the best of times. We trust you, God, in all this. And as we explore you and your character in these coming weeks, we ask, God, that you speak right here to the heart of me. In your name we pray and together we say amen and amen. Would you stand and join us as we sing and respond?